What London Can Be is brought to you by London Community Foundation, an organization dedicated to improving communities across London and Middlesex County. Welcome to What London Can Be, the podcast where we navigate our shifting world, shine a light on the issues our city is facing, and explore the innovative Made in London solutions to critical challenges in our community. I'm Diane Silva, Director of Philanthropy at London Community Foundation. On this episode of What London Can Be, we'll continue our conversation with Ray Deliri, Executive Director of Atlosa Family Healing Services. This part of our conversation was recorded soon after the discovery of a mass grave containing the remains of 215 Indigenous children at the site of the Kamloops Residential School in British Columbia on May 27th. This was such a traumatic event for Indigenous people, our country, and our community. And we are incredibly grateful to Ray for taking the time to continue our discussion today. Hi, Ray. Welcome back. Uh, to our podcast. Really good to see you over Zoom. It's good to see you. Um, And thank you so much for agreeing to come back. I felt like we could have gone on for hours, so this is why we're doing part two. And so I want to recap for the audience uh, what we covered during our last interview. Basically, last time we spoke about the effects of colonization, anti-Indigenous racism in Canada, and land acknowledgements, and we arrived at the subject of truth. Now, I just want to pause with that. So just last week, we heard the terrible news, and I want to express my deepest condolences to you, uh, to everyone in the Indigenous communities, families, loved ones who've lost um, those First Nations children uh, that were found in that mass grave in Kamloops, BC. I am deeply sorry about that. And um, and by having you here, I would I would love for you to share your thoughts um, and or feelings about what had happened from that terrible news that we had uncovered. Sure. Uh, thanks for having me. And I truly do appreciate the sentiment. It is a very unfortunate truth that was exposed, uh, but also very meaningful in the sense that, that our, our understanding, or at least my perspective on it is, uh, that everything happens for a reason and unfolds for a reason as it should. And so even with this uh, unfortunate news of the uncovering of this mass grave, there is a very real and important uncovering to to look further into and to discuss. And so clearly I think the reason that these children surfaced the way that they have, even though it's with the use of technology, it was for meaning and for a purpose. And I'm sure um, if anything could be done to, to help rectify some of the past or to seek some form of justice, this is one thing that they can send forward from their time into the future to ensure that it's talked about and that the truth is uncovered. So my initial thoughts are, are that this is just a very, this is just one instance of so so many instances that exist right across the country. My feelings around that, as you can probably imagine, are are just complex because they it involves a real uh, sadness and grief, and also that that transfers into just outright anger and rage towards 
towards Canada and towards everything that Canada represents. And there is so much, there is so much to, to this that, that needs to be understood, I feel, uh, by Canadians uh, to understand an individual's raw feelings and emotions and cycle of emotions that are stirred up when something like this is uncovered in the news and, and then makes, makes headlines and because of social media raises the consciousness of, of what actually took place not just in residential schools, but throughout the history of colonization. And I say history loosely because we are still colonized. We are still living in a colonized state. So it's not history. It's the dark cloud is still over, over top of us. We are still under the thumbprint of colonial rule. And it's not as if, um, it's not as if it's like Justin Trudeau's speech about this is a dark chapter in our history. This is a real dark chapter right now that we're living in. And his words are, are uh, fall short of anything meaningful or sincere or taken as uh, appreciative, at least from my perspective, and that he could have done so much more um, to help, to help his Canadians understand that this is, this is something that we still live with right now today especially when it's stirred up like this in the news. The, the unfortunate reality is that this is just one example of every single residential school site right across the country. There is, there, I guarantee there's not one residential school site where, where there are not graves of children. And I can tell you from my own community, Chippewas of the Thames First Nation, where we had the Mount Elgin Industrial Institute operate from the 1850s right up until uh, the 1950s, so 100 years, one century of residential school, that there have always been stories about mass graves and children's graves and children who just happen to just disappear out of, out of sight, out of mind from the school, not out of mind of their peers, but had just miraculously or somehow just disappeared and their their peers my grandparents and aunts and uncles who went to that school they have the stories about wondering what happened to that kid what happened to johnny or susie or sally or jennifer what happened to their cousins we also know that there was a there was a church that was just down the road from the residential school site in Chippewas of the Thames. And, and keeping in mind for Londoners who are listening that Chippewas of the Thames First Nation is only 20 minutes from the borders of London. And, and it's not as if this is so far-fetched and so far from us that it's right across the country in BC. It's right in your own backyard that you know, there was a church down the road from the residential school, and when it was time to go to church, the children would have to make that walk to that school. Behind the church or somewhere around the church was a graveyard. And we know exactly where that is in our community. And we know for a fact that there are graves there. And so, again, it's just to the point that this is not just a, a one one scenario issue one situation issue this is this is something that we know exists in all of our communities whether it was from residential schools or um, the onslaught of disease like smallpox and tuberculosis that were brought by colonizers into our communities or uh, 
or simply masquerades from the warfare that took place when we were being pushed out of our land and uh, just ravaged, that these mass graves exist in so many forms. What really hits home for this particular one is that we are, we are in a, uh, society is in a state of, I don't even want to call it a state of reconciling. I don't even know what to call it. We're just a state of, in a state of uncovering or raising consciousness about re- what residential schools were and, and that this was children as young as three years old and then up to 19 years old. Um, that, that this is just so, uh, that's why it's so hurtful because we know it's children. Yeah. And you raise a good point that it's not just an isolated situation in Kamloops, BC, that, you know, in your thinking, and I'm sure many others, there are more across the country and even in our own backyards. And um, I know this is very serious and sensitive, and, and I can feel it right now, even hearing your voice, how sensitive this is. Um, but what would you like to see to be done, even at this point? Like you've mentioned how uh, Justin Trudeau, he, his his words just kind of fell short. Um, what, what are you looking for in leaders uh, how do how do they how are you expecting people to respond? Well, I think the key word is what do you look for in a leader? That's that's the key question. And uh, in leadership, we take accountability for our actions. And the true leaders will will stand uh, will stand in front of all of the people that they represent and take accountability for their actions. And if they can't do that because they might not be responsible, they'll they'll ensure that whoever it is that's accountable is going to take accountability for their actions. One of the one of the most one of the shittiest things about Canada is that nobody's ever held accountable for any of this. Nobody has ever been held accountable for the atrocities that took place against our people. Canadians don't hold Canadians responsible. Other countries in the world don't hold Canadians responsible. Canadians get a free pass. Mm. That's the shittiest thing about all of this. Mm-hmm. The, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, the inquiries, they that whole system protected anybody that was responsible for inflicting any kind of harm on the children or their communities. Because in that agreement, in the rules that made up that commission, anybody who was named as causing harm was protected and could not be, could not be subpoenaed, could not be called to court, could not be called to trial. And that still exists. Out, out of all of those witnesses that shared their stories, that talked about how they were raped by priests and nuns, that talked about how they were impregnated, that talked about how they were beat, smashed in the head with weapons, electrified, fed uh, uh, testing foods or not fed at all and, and we're, we're starving, nobody was ever held accountable to this day for any of that. And that's, that's what this so-called country prides themselves on. Canada will sanction other countries in the world for violating human rights and will block trade routes, will stop the economy, will do whatever they 
can do to make themselves look good in the eyes of the rest of the world, but it, when, it, when it comes to, the, to their own backyard, they do nothing. And that is just completely unjust and unfair. And so I know that people in our community are just sick and tired of, of seeing the lip service or the, the very soft action towards trying to reconcile. I mean, it's, it's wonderful that we're trying to raise awareness and consciousness and we do things in solidarity like wear orange or create a vigil or put shoes out. All of those things, though, still do nothing to hold people accountable. And since, since the publication of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, which, which was completed and published in the early 90s, and because of that commission, um, they had investigated residential schools and what took place, and there was real witnesses. And even since then, 30 years later, still not one person held accountable. And it just, you know, the, it just begs, begs the question, is there really any justice? Or from Canadians' perspective, it's just us. For Canadians, just us. That only applies to just us. And still, the way that we're being treated, the way that this rolls out, is that there's a set of rules for Canadians, and then there's a set of rules for the Indigenous people. And there's no justice on our part. No justice for us, no justice for these children. No one's held accountable for murdering. The last residential school closed in 1996. 1996. And, and so even then, guaranteed, people are still living who are working at that school, the, either the administrators, the planners, the teachers, uh, perhaps anybody from the clergy that worked in that school. And out of any of the abuses that took place at that school, nobody held accountable and they're still living. How do they live with themselves? So hold, hold Canadians need to hold Canadians accountable. It's not our, it's not the role of the victim or the survivor to hold the perpetrators accountable to the extent that justice is served. Yeah, you uh, definitely raise a very valid point. And in fact, we hear so often that, you know how Canadians will will throw it loosely that, oh, we don't have the same problems as the U.S. Well, we're not so racist ourselves. And you're so right. We've softened this. And uh, what have we done to acknowledge and recognize our contributions uh, to Indigenous people, the atrocities that we've we've done even through the residential school system? You know, you talk about 1996. And even when I was at Western, um, there was a lot of racist ter terms being thrown around even in the classroom and no mention about these issues that were going on. And so it really normalized it for people. And you have every right to be passionate about this. I think, I think people are now starting to realize the severity of what was happening because I think a lot of this was covered, but it's still not an excuse. Um, and it's definitely not an excuse. And we do need to hold our leaders uh, to better accountability. But what about the everyday person? Um, you know, the, the citizens, like you said, people want to wear orange. I've got an orange shirt out of respect for to you and what happened to those children um, and the people that are putting shoes out and all of that because they are sympathizing. They're, they're, they're waking up to this. But what can the average person do that would 
demonstrate um, solidarity and and demand action from our leaders. Take it to the streets. Take it to the streets. Stop living in the fallacy of Canada. Stop living in this fantasy that Canada is this great country that is built on hard work, determination, and moral values, because that's bullshit. We live, we live in a colonized state and we continue to perpetuate, colonize, perpetuate colonization. Every Canadian, every Canadian, including in my own community, Indigenous community, has a role in perpetuating colonization so long as we're complacent and living within it. And, and as long as we live under the rules of government and of the, under the rules that has built this country to, to be what it is, then we're gonna continue perpetuating an unjust society because the very foundation of this country is built on racist morals and values. That's it, period. And the only way of, of, of overturning that is something revolutionary that calls, that calls the leadership of this so-called colonial state to task, to accountability, and just overturn them. Quit living in, the, in this fake dream that you're doing something good that we're all doing something good because we're not. We just, we're, for future generations, we're just perpetuating. We're just kicking the ball forward. We're just pushing it forward. I'm only gonna deal with it this far. I'm gonna, I'm gonna acknowledge that this is the truth, but that's all I'm gonna do. Beyond that, I feel powerless. But every person in this country has a right, has a right to live in peace and truth and in friendship. That was the basis of our understanding when we accepted everybody here. Everybody has a role in holding their side of the bargain. It's, it's, it's passive to think that as Canadians, you don't have a responsibility in holding your end of the treaty arrangement up. The relationship, the relationship that was meant to exist was peace and friendship and, and pros prosperity and posterity. Meaning that we're both we're both living in in an equal relational situation where we are both flourishing for forever. Every Canadian has that responsibility. So if you know when we wonder, well, how do I do that? Well, be disruptive. Be disruptive. Do not accept the norm because the norm is, is built on lies yep. that like that has to be said. And so every Canadian who hears that, every Canadian who hears that has to tell their friend, has to tell their family, and then they have to tell their family. That is the narrative that, that needs to be resounding right across the country is that we live in, in a colonial state that perpetuates racism. That's it, there's no question about it. It doesn't mean that every Canadian is racist. It means that the system, the foundation of your country is built on lies and racism. And we need to change those systems, absolutely. You know, ironically, this uh, episode will be coming out during Indigenous History Month. And I would love for you to talk about uh, Indigenous History Month, what it represents, and maybe what is the opportunity for this, you know, given, given this moment in time? 
if you could share your thoughts on that. I today I couldn't couldn't care less about Indigenous History Month. I have no uh, right now. I have no desire to give anybody any kind of answer or to make it my responsibility. The, the truth of the matter is that ask ourselves, why in the hell do we have an Indigenous History Month on the land, on the land and in the place of the world where these people come from? Why do we have to set aside one month out of the year to learn more about them? That's twisted thinking. I love this. I I want you to keep going because you're right. Um, it's it's like your people have been here before the the colonialist uh, colonials have come, and uh, here we are. Oh, we're giving you this this special month to celebrate all things Indigenous people, and uh, and I think given this point in time, I think this is where I was trying to go because uh, I could tell you were very passionate about this. Um, given what we just uncovered last week. That how this stuff, like you just said, um, there was a reason for this to come out. And uh, it's a moment for everyone to wake up, um, including our leaders, to do a better job. And uh, and I, I appreciate the fact that you did say, well, I don't even care about talking about this. You were so candid. Um, I, I, wish, I wish I could undo uh, this stuff for you. Um, but I think our our listeners would love would love to learn more about maybe what they can do uh, in being a better ally um, to you to your, to Indigenous people. Um, this point in time where um, you know enough is enough. Uh, I think people just want to know where can, where can they start? Um, if you could shed some light on that. I think I think you said it. I know when you said enough is enough, that's what resounded with me the most. What do you tell? What do you tell a child who's living in a in an abusive home and continues to get to be abused by their caregivers? What do you tell a woman who is continuously abused by her spouse? What do you tell a man who's continuously abused by his spouse? What do you tell these people, these survivors or these victims who you see just on a personal level? What's the advice that you would give them? Ask yourself, if you see somebody being treated unfairly, somebody that's close to you, somebody that you love, that you care for, and you see them day in and day out abused, what do you tell them? Do you, do you ask them? Do you ask them like, oh, Let's, let's go learn more about what physical or sexual abuse is. Let's go learn more about the cycle of abuse. Maybe that will help you. No. no you tell them, get out of there. I'll help you. I'll help keep you safe. But leave that relationship right now because it's no good. That's what we tell people who are suffering abuse. And that's what we continue to suffer. We, enough is enough is what we would say. 
you don't you don't deserve to be treated like that. You don't deserve to come to the office or to uh, the workplace, or you don't deserve to go out in public with black eyes or with with strangleholds around your neck. You don't deserve to walk in shame because somebody at home is hurting you or being inappropriate with you. You tell them, if you care for them and you love them, you're going to tell them, I'll, I'll help protect you. I'll make you safe. Where are those people? Where, where's the people in this country that actually care and want to do anything about it? If you're out there, then enough is enough. That's it. Enough is enough. It just, it just has to stop before, before anything can get any better. And people might think, well, there is no more residential schools. No, there's not. But your country, your glorious country, your leadership continues to litigate against any indigenous person who makes a claim against their against Canada. They ask your leaders how many hundreds of thousands or millions are spent in litigation against indigenous people trying to stand up for their human rights. Look into the books. That's what's happening in Canada. It's like, it's just like on that personal relationship level. You see somebody who's, who's being hurt and abused and you have a decision to make. You either step in and intervene and do something about it because enough is enough. Maybe you take the side of the abuser and fund his litigation against the person who's making the claim. How do you feel about that? Because that doesn't feel good, but that's what we face. Children, children who, uh, who don't get equitable services on reserve, and then you have somebody like Cindy Blackstock, who has championed helping to make that a little bit more equitable and just. And she has been fighting against Canada in litigation for years because they don't want, Canada does not want to comply with the human rights orders. The Canadian Human Rights Council Commission tells Canada, you need to comply with A, B, C, D, E, F, G for children, for First Nations and Indigenous children. And you know what Canada's response is? No, we don't. And we're going to prove it in court that we don't. That's, that's your Canada. It just, again, it just goes back to <laughs> enough is enough. It just needs to stop. You have to stop the bleed before you can heal the wound. Yep. So tell your Canadians, stop it. Mm -hmm. And hold on to it. And pay more attention to these signals, right? Um because there's a lot of stuff that isn't highlighted in the media. And like you're talking about this litigation stuff um, and how uh, Indigenous children are treated differently or the system isn't equitable enough. Uh, you're absolutely right. But that's all being quietly, you know, it, it's kind of swept under the rug. And we should be poking more questions and saying enough is enough. More needs to be done. Um, absolutely. So... I know that we're, we've covered a lot of territory um, and there's a lot of raw feelings here and, and rightfully so, absolutely. And so, Ray, if, uh, if I were to ask you, 
What do you think Lenin can be? And how do you think we can get there? What would you say? Stop calling ourselves London. Aha. Okay. We're in an identity crisis. We're clearly named after a country that has led, or, or a city in a major country that has led colonization. And yet we still call ourselves the same thing. That's it's ludicrous. It just blows my mind how we think we're going to change anything without changing the level of consciousness and awareness. People will still hold on to this identity of being London. It was this like, if people just understood the history of the development of this place and what it was supposed to become, the reason that we have that they renamed Deshkan Zibi, our river, to the Thames River, and the reason why the city of London and all of its place names and streets are mimicked after the colonial head seat of the empire. Transform it. Stop calling ourselves London because it's sickening. It's just sickening. It's just, a, just every time we say the word, it's a reminder that British colonial rule had its, had its feet firmly planted right here, right where we're standing. And I'll, to be quite honest with you, I don't like saying I'm from London. I don't live in London, so I don't ever say that. But even when I did, I never liked putting my address down as London, Ontario. I would never want to. What can London be? Well, I think the people are good people. I think that I think that this podcast and this initiative and everything that you are doing with the London Community Foundation and the leadership that is there that wants to strive to do something different, I think that that is the glimmer of hope that we have that potentially we could be something else. Could be something else. But it takes it takes the real will of the people to revolutionize what that could be. And there, and in doing that, there is so many blemishes that need to be resolved, not just covered up and fixed, but resolved. The, the one thing that connects us, the one element that connects all of us in just in this region is our is the river. Our people rely on that river. We, we rely on her to provide for us our sustenance, our livelihood. We chose this spot specifically because of her. And throughout colonization, the colonizers have no relationship to her. They literally ship in the water and send it downstream to us to drink. People who live downstream from here cannot have a clean glass of water in whatever year this is, 2021, for Londoners that, that pay their tax bills, that are good standing citizens in the eyes of the government and in the law, you're still shitting in our water. And the children who just live downstream from you only 15 minutes outside of the city borders cannot have a clean glass of drinking water to this day. 
So it's kind of, it looks kind of bleak, I'll be honest with you. It looks kind of bleak. What can London be? I don't know. The fallacy is that money is going to resolve our issues. And that if we pump enough money back into society and back into the uh, resolving the social determinants of health issues, that those who are less fortunate will make things better. Fallacy, it's a lie. Think about the relationship you have with those people. Does it even exist? Right. What is your relationship to the, to the land and the water and the air and the creation around you? Does it even exist? Because if it doesn't, then this environment is not going to sustain any of us. Yeah. And on the path that we're on, London doesn't really have a whole lot of a chance for anything in perpetuity anyway. We'll all succumb to the environment because she'll have had enough of us. You see, the environment knows, our, our mother, the earth knows when enough is enough. And we get those, we get those reminders every now and then when natural disaster strikes. She knows and she'll show us and she shows us. But for some reason, we don't pay attention because, because that, that overpowering uh, sense of, of false power and pride that exists within your monetary economic system is just too strong. It overpowers, overpowers any kind of real connection you might have. If, if Londoners decide to do something different, it, it, it has to be now. It has to be now. It has to be doing what you can within this, within this micro region of the world, this very small pin drop of a, world, of, of a piece of the world. If you can save our watershed, if you can save our river, if you can reestablish real relationships, based on humanism and uh, being at one with the environment and creation, then there might be a chance where London would be this protected biosphere bubble where people could actually flourish. But that takes a complete mind shift. Herd mentality mind shift, not just a few. Can't just be the rich and powerful. It can't just be the less fortunate. Everyone's got to be all in. That was well said, Ray. Um, and in fact, you are so right. As you were talking, um, I'm sure the pandemic has impacted Indigenous community in so many ways. And what I was thinking, mainly when you were talking about the environment and what we've done with our waters, uh, you are so right. Uh, we haven't done anything with our waters. And with the pandemic, I know a lot of money hasn't even been going into the environment. So... Um, you're absolutely right. If, uh, if there's something for us to do right now is to pay attention to those things. The fact that you called out our name, London, <laughs> and uh, that we need to seriously rethink that is an interesting and valid point. Um, even us as a foundation. Um, I know that we're doing our own internal journey of, uh, you know, really trying to create more of a diverse and inclusive environment 
internally and really understanding these deep issues. And uh, that is something that we need to think about. Because if we are for all people, uh, we have to think of what the brand represents as well. So thank you for calling that out. Um, Ray, uh, you're amazing. I'm not just saying this. I love who you are. I love how passionate you are, how sincere and candid. Please continue to be that person. You're clearly needed. That's why you are a leader and uh, and continue being that voice for your people. And I'm so glad that we had you here to share your voice with our listeners. Um, and I hope a lot of people have had a lot of aha moments, just like I did in listening to you. And uh, I hope this isn't the last of it. I hope we have you back. And I, I hope that we start seeing some change, especially with that enough is enough stuff. So... Thank you so much, and um, I wish you truly the best, and uh, and that you you start feeling, you know, you start seeing that change with people. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And I do too. Mm -hmm. Take care. Thank you. You too, Ray. Take care. I want to thank Ray for speaking with me so soon after the tragic discovery of the 215 innocent Indigenous children found in the mass grave site at the residential school in Kamloops, BC. I know this news has been incredibly difficult for all of us across Canada to hear, but especially for our Indigenous peoples who are reliving this trauma and experiencing grief, pain, anger, and sadness. I want to express my deepest sympathies to all Indigenous peoples across this country. As a settler on this land, I am sad and angered by the cultural genocide that our colonial system has inflicted upon countless generations. I recognize that more needs to be done to undo the pain and suffering that these communities still endure today. It's time for real action in creating meaningful reparations and the rebuilding of trust with our Indigenous communities. Thank you for joining us for this episode of What London Can Be. Look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn how to subscribe to this podcast and for more information about today's guest, visit us at lcf.on.ca slash whatlondoncanbe. If you like this podcast, tell a friend and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll find links on our website. Thank you again for joining us.